All right, um, welcome to discipleship class number 29. Um, I am excited about uh, the things we'll be talking about this evening. Um, Stickman theology is um, what we affectionately refer to that, uh, to this teaching uh, as around here at Heritage, amen. Um, and really what we're talking about is um, spirit, soul, and body. It is one of my favorite things to teach um, for a lot of reasons, but mainly because uh, to understand spirit, soul, and body is to um, position yourself to understand so many other things from the Word of God that uh, are helpful and beneficial to you. So class 29 out of 36, so we are um, rapidly coming uh, to uh, an end of this year's uh, classes. And they've been different, but I, I pray that they've been good and, and beneficial uh, to you. I know some of you have been with us, I think, for every one, either live or you know, to watch them afterwards from the archive. And so um, that's amazing. Congratulations. Um, if I could only teach, I maybe I shouldn't say that, but if I could only teach eight of these classes, it would be these last eight. Um, or last seven now, um, because w once we talk about spirit, soul, and body, we, we are then going to build uh, on that and, and specifically go uh, to the foundation of our salvation and new birth and what it means to be a new creation. And um, in the end, we'll circle all the way back around to where we started enmity and reconciliation and, and what those things look like in light of the things that we have learned so far. So, But anyway, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, we still got um, a ways to go uh, before we get to the end, but I am um, always excited to be with you. But uh, these next set of classes uh, to me are um, uh, what we've worked so hard all these uh, months uh, to get you know, to this place. And um, so I'm very excited about it. Anyway, let's pray and, uh, and we'll get right into uh, our review and then the evening's teachings. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you've given to us, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, your word says that he's with us, he's in us. And Father, I thank you tonight that he's upon us. He's empowering us, he's enabling us, he's anointing us, Father, to speak your word and to hear and receive your word. Father, I thank you uh, tonight that we're, we're not just here for information, Lord, but um, Lord, we ask you tonight for revelation, Lord, where your Holy Spirit reveals things to us in our inward parts, Father, things that uh, renew our minds and transform our lives. Father, thank you for the faithfulness of so many people that have tuned into these classes. Uh, Lord, uh, some say it's not the same as being in person, and so obviously it, it's, it's not, but it doesn't mean it has to be less of an experience. And so, Lord, I just believe that you're taking our uh, faithful efforts and, um, and you're using them for your glory. And so we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. You know, and I was talking about our faithful efforts. Um, I uh, had a brief conversation with uh, our post uh, lady today, and not here at the church, at my house, and um, super nice, and as she was driving uh, off, she told me, she said, um, keep being faithful, keep being faithful, and man, I don't, it was, you know, the Bible talks about uh, 
a word spoken, right words at the right time are like um, apples uh, of you know, gold in, in um, pitchers or bowls of silver. And uh, man, after she drove off, it just, those words so impacted me that, you know, I, I literally, I said, Lord, help me uh, continue to be faithful. I, I want to be faithful to him. And of course, the good news is he's faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him. But, um, and so I just want to commend you on your faithfulness to, um, to hang in here, uh, endure sound doctrine, allow the Lord to uh, stretch you and teach you and grow you. And so I pray that um, you have drawn along with me um, as we have um, been together uh, this year uh, in, in these classes. So let's just do a quick review, praise God. Um, we've been answering this question, what is man? And we said that we've got to answer what is man before we can understand um, you know, we got to know what we are before we can know who we are and why we are. And throughout, I guess, what, many weeks now, months now, um, we've covered things like, number one, we've said that man is a God-class being. Number two, man is a spirit being. Number three, man is the legal authority on earth. Number four, man is a being created in the image and likeness of God. And, um, and, you know, we spent, we spent a lot of time on number four. Uh, some, some years that I've taught this, we, we spend more time than others. Um, and so I just felt impressed that, that we needed to do that this year. Um, and when we talk about, again, being created in the image and likeness of God, we're not just talking about resembling Him. Um, we're talking about characteristics that we possess that, um, that, you know, because we are created in the image and likeness of God, we possess and they, they exist nowhere else other than, you know, in creation other than in God himself. And so um, I'm not going to start back down that road, but uh, praise God, it's some very, very important stuff, and I hope it was uh, informative and helpful uh, for you, okay? So then that brings us to uh, the fifth and final point that we're going to look at, what is man? And number five is that man is a uh, three-dimensional being. Man is a three-dimensional being. So let's go uh, to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Um, we've looked at this verse for different reasons uh, many times over the course of our study together. And, um, and so what we see in Genesis 1 and 26 is God speaking. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, I want you to pay very close attention to the use of plural pronouns in this passage. Um, if you'll notice, he says, let us. Us is a plural pronoun, meaning more than one, as opposed to let me make man in my image. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So us and our are plural pronouns, and they're, of course, referring to uh, more than one person. And what we know as the Bible unfolds is that God is a three-yet-one God. He is God the Father, He is God the Son, He is God the Holy Spirit. Not one God operating in three different, uh, uh, you know, in, in other words, how do I say this? You know, it's not like sometimes He's God the Father, sometimes He's God the Son, sometimes He's God the Holy Spirit. No. Three persons, but one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we, we spent a great deal of time on this um, when we talked about uh, our um, 
being created by God to have fellowship and communion um, with him. Um, and so when we talk about the Trinity, it, it's, a, it's a mystery. And, and when I say mystery, um, it's, it's something you'll never understand unless you understand it by faith. And um, I have used different things over the years to try and get us close. That's what Jesus would do with parables. He would tell us about something in our world to get us close to understanding something in his world. But if we were ever going to understand the spiritual truth being communicated in, in a parable, we were going to have to take you know, that leap of faith and, and uh, embrace it by, by faith because spiritual things are so much higher than, than human reasoning. Uh, we'll never embrace the spiritual if we only rely upon uh, our uh, ability, you know, natural ability to, to rationalize uh, or, or reason things out. And so um, take time for an example. Um, time com is comprised of a past, a present, and a future. With, without one of those, you don't have time. Uh, that's really kind of, of a flimsy Matter of fact, I took it out of my notes and then I just mentioned it anyway, but uh, praise God. Um, to me, you know, when we talk about water, um, which we know is um, H2O, um, what, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, um, H2O can exist in the form of liquid. That's what we often think of when we think of water, something that you drink. But we also know that H2O can exist in the form of a solid, uh, which would be ice, a frozen state, or H2O can be vapor. Um, and, and this, of course, you know, would be like steam. And so we have one substance, but three different forms of that substance. And then also we have one substance and three different uh, functions of those three individual forms. In other words, water liquid, water solid, water vapor, um, ice, steam, and um, something that you would drink or wash clothing with. Um, they're all three still H2O, it's just H2O in a different form, and because it has a different form, it has a different function. So I'm not saying that's an absolute perfect way to wrap your heart and mind around the concept of God being a trinity, but God the Father is a different form um, of the same God as God the Son, is a different form of the same God as God the Holy Spirit. But we see that each one of these functions uh, in harmony with the other two, but uh, has a slightly different function, especially where <laughs> our salvation and, and, and life and living for God is concerned, okay? Um, but the absolute uh, best or greatest representation of a three yet one being in the created realm um, is, is actually you. Um, the greatest representation of a three yet one being in the created realm is um, you. I like to say it this way, a triune God, tri meaning three, U-N-E meaning one, a three yet one God created you as a three yet one being. So this is, again, one more uh, important aspect of understanding uh, what you are. You are a three yet one being. You are a triune being. Now let's go uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. I'll give you a second uh, to turn there. Um, 
And uh, what, what we see uh, in this passage is, um, you know, spirit, soul, and body all mentioned uh, in one verse. We see many verses that talk about our spirit, many verses that talk about our soul, many verses that talk about our body. Um, but in this verse, we have all three um, mentioned uh, together. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there is um, a teaching in Christianity today that mankind is not a three-yet-one being, but that we are a two-yet-one being. And there are many people who consider the spirit and the soul to be the same thing. Now, I've tried to understand where they get this from, and, and to be honest with you, I, I, I have just given up because um, it is absolutely positively not what the Bible teaches us. Clearly, um, the Bible uh, identifies um, a dimension of your existence that is spirit, a dimension of your existence that is soul, and a dimension of your existence that is body, spirit, soul, and body. As a matter of fact, if we go into the original language, um, we see that the Greek word, and I, I have a, um, a graphic that I'll put up in a moment, so it give you some spelling on these, but um, we, we have a, uh, a Greek word for spirit is, is the word pneuma, and then um, the Greek word for soul is uh, suche, and the Greek word for body is soma. So um, spirit, soul, and body is pneuma, suche, soma. And each of these words in the Greek uh, carries with it a completely different definition, a completely different meaning. Um, now, when we talk about the three dimensions of your existence, we do know that one part of our uh, existence uh, is, is physical in nature, uh, material in nature, and that would be your body. And then we have uh, the, the other two parts are what we would say are immaterial. And not immaterial in the sense they're, they're not important um, or, or imaginary or non-existent. No, no, that's not what it means. Um, immaterial meaning uh, something that you can't uh, quantify in the sense of, you know, put it in a physical measuring cup and, and measure. Um, let, let me just give you an example. Thoughts are something that exists in the mind. The mind is a part of the soul, uh, interfaces with the body in an organ called the brain. Um, but you, a, a thought, you can't, um, what am I trying to say? Or show me a thought. I mean, you, you know, it's, it's, it's an immaterial thing, but a very real thing at, uh, at the same time. And so sometimes like we have in Scripture, maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself now, but it's okay. In, in, in Scripture, we have a, a verse that refers to our outward man and our inward man. Um, and, of course, we know the outward part is the material part. The inward part is the immaterial part. I'm in the middle of a teaching right now on, on Wednesday nights uh, here at Heritage. And um, 
it, and it's, the title of it is Faith Will Flourish in an Understanding Heart. Faith Will Flourish in an Understanding Heart. And so to understand what the Bible says about our heart, and there's a whole lot in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, talking about the heart of a man. And by definition, the heart is the cardia of man. That's the Greek word. Uh, in the Greek uh, 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 spelling, transliteration, it's K-A-R-D-I-A. -A. And of course, English, we use the C, cardiac, you know, having to do you know, with things pertaining to the physical heart. The cardia of man is referring to um, the, it's kind of wordy, the totality of the immaterial man. So this would be um, the combination of the spirit and the soul. So the heart of, of a man, as it's referenced so many times in the scriptures, is referring to both your spirit and um, your soul. Uh, but, but even then, we see that spirit is one thing, soul is another thing, body is um, another thing all together. Now, this um, is one of the more... Uh, I say this, I, it, it's just new, it's, it's something different, so I don't want to say it's challenging, but um, typically when I teach these things, I have uh, a dry erase board behind me or I have a, a screen behind me, and I'll just leave this drawing up there and reference it over and over and over again. And so I'm going to just put the, the graphic on the screen overlay and I'm just going to leave it there, and I'm, and I'm going to talk about it. And obviously, I don't have the capacity to, uh, to point <laughs> to the different things that I point to. But I think it'll be um, uh, you know, plain enough, uh, clear enough. And so here, here is the, um, the screen uh, overlay. And um, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to leave this up there. Um, but I'll tell you what, before I even break down what all this is communicating, um, if you would like a, um, you know, a, me to email you um, a copy of this, um, I'll be happy to do that. Mark, M-A-R-K, at hccnow.org. Mark at hccnow.org. So shoot me an email, and I'll be happy to uh, email you. Normally, if we were all in class together, I would, I would be handing these out right now, uh, a paper copy of this. So... Um, again, Mark, M-A-R-K, at hccnow.org. For our brothers and sisters at the Foundry, um, I will um, make a mental note to uh, bring some copies of this uh, with me um, to hand to you as well. Okay, now, let's, um, <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about this. So if you'll notice, I, I guess one of the first things you see is, um, you know, drawings of three identical individuals. Um, this has uh, evolved over the years, but it started out with just three um, roughly drawn stick men. Um, I shared this, I think, a couple classes ago, so let me just real quick, like years ago, I was in a counseling session with a young man, and I was trying to help him understand the difference between his spirit, his soul, and his body, and, and I could tell that it just wasn't registering with him. And so I, um, I grabbed a, a, a sheet of paper and just real quick like drew three stick men side by side and um, under the feet of one I wrote spirit, under the feet of the other I wrote soul, and under the feet of the other I wrote body and then turned it around on the desk so that he could see it 
uh, facing him, and I just kept, you know, pointing to it over and over again. And so um, that's where, you know, the Holy Spirit gave me this uh, way of, of teaching these things. And, um, and of course, now we've uh, traded the stick men in for uh, some other uh, more uh, handsome dudes there. So praise God. Um, so if you'll notice uh, under the feet of the stick, the, the man that says that is your spirit, that represents your spirit, um, underneath that is the real you, okay? The real you. And I want to say that like 15 more times, but um, the real you. Uh, I'm in a teaching right now on Sundays at Heritage um, about our self-image. And what we see is because we have three dimensions corresponding to each of those dimensions, we have a different version or an image of ourselves. And um, your born-again spirit is the real you. It's your true image. Um, in our soul, we, we have a self-image. This is how you see yourself, what you think of yourself, what you believe to be true about yourself. And then our body or our outward man um, this would be the image that we project to the world. It's what we want people to think about us. It's how we want other people to see us and think about us. So um, I, I mention all that because, again, your born-again spirit, this is who you really are. This is your true um, image. Now, if you'll notice over the head of um, the figure representing your spirit, I have uh, the word in parentheses, pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, we get our English word pneumatic, so if you've ever used an air tool, you've used a, a pneumatic tool, um, and yet this is a, uh, a very diverse Greek word translated into our English word spirit. Now this can mean Holy Spirit, it can mean uh, a, a demonic spirit, it can, it can mean the spirit of a man, the, the, a man's spirit. Um, and so context, context, context is really, really important. Uh, when you're studying the word spirit in the scriptures. That's why sometimes you'll see it capitalized, obviously representing Holy Spirit. Um, other times you'll see it lowercase, representing spirit other than, um, than God, uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, if you move to the middle of this drawing, you'll see the figure that represents our soul. And your soul is your mind, your emotions, and your will your mind, your emotions, and your will. We could break this down a little further and say it's the part of you that thinks, the part of you that feels, and the part of you that makes choices. Your mind, emotions, and will are the part of you that thinks, feels, and chooses. And over the head of the figure representing your soul is the word suche. Now we get our English word um, psychology from this, um, any, anything to do with the psyche, um, psychiatrist. Um, so again, um, this is the distinct Greek word translated into our English word soul. And then we have um, the figure that represents the dimension of your existence that the Bible calls your body. This would also be referred to as your flesh. And then we know that in our flesh we find our five senses. And the Bible also refers to your body as your outward man, outward man as opposed to your inward man. Now, sometimes I do this uh, at this point in our teaching, but since I've already mentioned it, I'll do it now. You'll have to imagine it 
for me. Um, but if you can imagine me taking a red marker and drawing a heart over this, over this um, uh, drawing that you have, and that heart uh, incorporating uh, the figure representing your spirit and the figure representing your soul. Um, and so that would be a graphic representation of what is the heart of a man, the heart of a man, okay? And, and so um, <clears throat> let's, there's so many things that fire off in my mind when, when I start uh, explaining this because there's so many things that um, uh, are so important here. But let's, um, let's just stay with the drawing and then we'll, once we get it all explained, we'll build on it. Now, if you'll notice, there are uh, two words. One is written within the arrow um, that is proceeding forth um, from, the word, from the word God. And that word is Z-O-E. And that word is pronounced zoe. Some people pronounce it zoe. Um, but zoe, zoe. Um, this uh, word um, means the life and nature of God. Um, zoe is the life and nature of God. Now, if you'll notice over the figure representing the dimension of your being that is your body, there's another word, and that is the word bios. Now, this word bios is referring to physical or natural life. So we'll look at the verse in a moment, but there's a passage in the scripture where Jesus says to a bunch of people, I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly uh, and to give it to you uh, eternally. The life that Jesus was referring to was not bios, but zoe. When he said, I've come to give you life, he was speaking to people who were biologically alive, but were spiritually dead. And so he said to these people who had bios, I've come to give you zoe. I've come to give you the life and nature of God in overflowing abundance for all of eternity. So zoe and bios are very important for us to understand. And we'll look at some verses uh, pertaining to those two words here uh, in, a, in a few minutes. Now, the only word that we haven't mentioned yet is the obvious one, and that's God, okay? But the arrow that um, proceeds from God towards um, the, the figure that represents your spirit in the drawing, that arrow is communicating two important things. It's communicating connection, and it's communicating direction connection and direction okay let's talk about connection for a moment when God created Adam he created him to be in union or fellowship communion to be connected with God um, so that God who is a spirit had um, a connection with a union with Adam's spirit and we see that the life and nature of God flowed from God through that connection, through that union, into Adam's spirit. Now, I said it communicates connection, but it also communicates direction. Direction in the sense that God created you and me for his life and nature to flow from him into us 
through a spiritual union with himself. And then for his life and nature to flow from our spirit into our soul, from our soul into our body, and then from our body outward into the world around us. So to simplify this, and it's one of the most important things, and there's a lot of things that I'm probably going to say are one of the most important things tonight because all of this stuff is so important. But it's one of the most important things that you can understand from this drawing is that God created you and me to live from the inside out. He created us to uh, live uh, via a connection, a union with Him from inside of ourselves, out of ourselves. Think about for a moment an apple tree. An apple tree brings forth fruit from within itself. No one comes in the middle of the night and hangs apples on an apple tree like Christmas ornaments on a Christmas tree. The apples that are produced year in and year out from that tree, same is true with oranges, same is true with corn, same is true with all of these things. They come from inside the plant, inside the tree, out. And God created you in the same way. We talked about this last week and the week before when we were talking about uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of unknown tongues, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So you were created to live from the inside out. I'm going to come over and talk to you for a minute. Most people on planet Earth are living exactly opposite or backwards to the way God created them to live. They're trying to live from the outside in. And, and this creates a situation in our world where we feel like what we need is outside of us and we're trying to somehow get it to us and get it to ourselves. This is why we manipulate situations for our favorites, why we manipulate other people, um, because we think somebody else has what we need and we're trying to get it from them. Uh, and so this, this broken understanding of, of how we live um, drives so many people to try to find what they want and what they need somewhere in the, in the world around them and somehow to draw that into themselves. God created you to have everything that you want and need come from Him into you, out of you, and through you. And um, this uh, drawing that I have before you now um, is intended to represent that. Now, let's, um, <clears throat> let's build on this a little bit, okay? When, um, I'm going to go ahead and give you this verse and then we'll come back, okay? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 is another very important spirit, soul, and body verse, and it's one that we looked at probably in class four or five and have refer referenced more than once over um, the last many classes. But Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, suche and pneuma, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we referenced this verse, looked at this verse early on in our time together to point out the power that resides within the Word of God. The Word of God is alive, and the Word of God can, has God's power residing in it, and His power flows through it. The Word of God is living and powerful, but we also see 
the living and powerful word of God is also very sharp, okay? Um, sharper than any two-edged sword. To say a two-edged sword in the day in which this was written, this would have been considered um, the, the, the sharpest instrument, the sharpest knife, if you will. Two-edged means that it cuts both ways. Um, a single-edged blade only has one edge sharpened, and the other edge would be um, the heel of the blade, or it would have a flat spot on it. A two-edged sword would be sharpened on both edges of the blade, which means it would cut coming and going. So the Word of God is living and powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Notice what it does. It pierces even to the division of soul and spirit. So let's, let's come, I'll come back on screen. We'll put that verse back up in just a moment. Um, but let's go back to something that I, I said a few minutes ago about those who believe that we're not three-dimensional, we're only two-dimensional. Well, if, if the spirit and the soul were the same thing, then it would be impossible to uh, divide uh, one part from the other. Um, in other words, if, if you've got a, if you've got just a, a lean steak, um, you can cut it in half. Um, but if you have a lean steak with a bone, then you can take a sharp knife and you can cut the steak away from the bone and divide the part that is meat and edible from the part that is not meat and not edible. And so he's saying that the Word of God is like a surgeon's scalpel that is able to divide the part of you, the dimension of you that is spirit, um, from the part of you or the dimension of you that is soul. Now, I offer to you tonight that it's the only instrument that is capable of distinguishing the difference between the part of you that, that's spirit and the part of you that's soul. And this has to do with how intertwined and interconnected um, your spirit, your soul, and your body actually are. Um, I'll use this a, a, as an example. If you've ever heard of a psychosomatic illness, psycho, suche, soul, mind, um, soma being body, a psychosomatic illness, this would be um, something in the mind that is causing a physical uh, sickness, disease, symptom in the body. Uh, stress, uh, for example, is responsible for a, an amazing percentage of the hospital uh, and doctor's visits that, um, that take place every day uh, in our country. Stress being something within the soul that is affecting, impacting um, what's going on in the physical body. So this is a <clears throat> this is a, a you know a phenomenal field of study. The Bible has uh, much to say about the mind-body connection, both in uh, our health and well-being, or lack of it, as well as our uh, behavior. And so we'll we'll get to some of that here in a, in a moment. But because the spirit, soul, and body are so interconnected and so intertwined with one another, it's difficult for us to uh, 
recognize the difference between the part of you that's spirit, the part of you that's soul, and the part of you that is body. So when he says that the Word of God is living and powerful and sharp enough to do this, you know, it's not that I'm going to take a Bible and start trying to use it as a knife on you. Um, he's saying that the Bible, within the content of the Scriptures, what the Word says, uh, what the Bible says ab you know, about these things, um, you know, is, is extremely important because, you know, the Bible has much to say about your spirit. The Bible has much to say about your soul. The Bible has much to say um, about your body. And by paying very close attention to what the Bible is saying about these different entities, it is dividing for us, separating for us, so that we can understand, okay, this is spirit, this is soul, and this is body. Now, let me come back over to the passage. We'll start back over with it. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, cutting, even to the division of, separation of soul and spirit. And then he goes, and of joints and marrow. So you notice you've got soul mentioned and you've got spirit mentioned. He doesn't use the word soma or body here, but instead he uses the, 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 cons, the words joints and marrow. So joints and marrow is, is talking about um, the infrastructure of the physical body, uh, the, the bones. But then here is the amazing thing that, of course, God knew when the Holy Spirit inspired the writer of Hebrews to write these words. It wasn't sometime later that medical science uh, discovered that, um, that our blood cells are manufactured uh, in the marrow of our bones. So when he's saying that the Word of God is able to penetrate, not just divide the part that's soul from spirit, and then um, separate even the, you know, the part that's joints and marrow, he's saying that it can penetrate all the way down into the marrow of the bone where physical life um, uh, you know, springs forth from. Uh, the scriptures are clear that life is in the blood and blood cells are manufactured physically in the marrow of the bone. It's, it's just an amazing thing uh, to consider. But then also it says that, this, that the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So, you know, this is, you know, in other words, he, he the, the Word of God not only understands what you're thinking, but why you're thinking it and, and why you're uh, doing the things um, that uh, you may or may not be uh, doing in your life. All right, so now, let's put the drawing back up. And um, based on what we're learning so far, spirit, soul, and body, um, three distinct um, uh, dimensions of your uh, existence. <clears throat> I want you, and, and this is one of the more challenging concepts of all of this, and, <clears throat> and so it's important though, so just take a deep breath and the Holy Spirit's going to help us, all right? When we talk about our mind, the mind and the brain work together but they're not the same thing. When God created your physical body, and the Bible says it was fearfully and wonderfully made, 
when God created your physical body, He created it in such a way as to give expression to the spirit and the soul that He plugged into it. And I know plugged into it is maybe, you know, it's not, you know, you won't find that as in, in a King James. <laughs> You're not going to find that in a King James uh, 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 Bible uh, per se. But, you know, the idea is if you can think of your physical body as the most elaborate and amazing glove that has ever been designed and created, Father God designed your physical body as a glove, okay, and then your spirit and soul is the hand that goes into that glove. And, and, and this is how the, the physical body becomes animated. It's, it's a little more, um, uh, I guess, obvious when I have on a jacket or a, a long sleeve shirt, but you know, this, um, this sleeve is, is moving because the arm that's in this shirt is moving. Uh, when I get home tonight and take this shirt off, um, the body that's in this shirt now making it move will no longer be in it, and therefore the, the, the clothing that I'm wearing will, will no longer be animated. So when we talk about the physical body, we're talking about an elaborate glove that the spirit and soul have been plugged into. And so here is, um, it's, a, it's a computer word. It can be used outside of, of computer lingo. But I want you to think of it in terms of an interface. The, the, the mind uh, plugs into and interfaces with the brain. Now, this may be... Um, you know, flimsy for some people, it's not for me, um, but think of all the people that we've heard give testimony of, um, we refer to them as near-death experiences. Um, they're not near-death, they, they, they're death, it's, it's physical death. Um, and what we mean by that is, is where someone would be brain-dead um, there's no more, uh, you know, electricity firing in the human brain. Um, and they talk of literally leaving their body and then having these different experiences, um, but then coming back into their body and, um, and having uh, memory um, of, the, of those experiences. So keep in mind now, they were brain dead, their spirit and soul left their body, they came back into their body and had memories of things. One of the more fascinating, and sometimes I'm reluctant to tell this story because, you know, when we tell of astounding things that are supernatural in origin, um, you know, people have this tendency to just automatically dismiss them, and I, I don't want you to do this because I, I believe this person was sincere, and I believe that, that among other things, that their story was recorded and told uh, to help us with understanding things like we're talking about right now. In this particular situation, this person, uh, I think, had been involved in an accident. They were, they were on uh, an operating table, emergency surgery, and they literally, their spirit and soul left their body. They, it remained in the operating room um, for a few minutes, 
and they literally watched doctors and nurses try to save their life. And then they said that their spirit and soul began to literally pass through the different floors of the hospital, um, accelerating upward, and that they went all the way out of the hospital and paused there and then came rushing back in and were immediately back in their body. Well, what had happened in the meantime is that the doctors had pronounced uh, this gentleman dead um, and then he revived. And afterwards he was trying to tell the story and they were like, look, you've, you know, kind of patting him like, look, just, you know, you've been through a rough traumatic experience and, you know, basically just dismissing what he was saying. And he told them that there was a white Converse tennis shoe laying next to an air conditioning unit on the roof of the hospital for them to go and check uh, to see if, if he was making up what he was telling them or if, in fact, it was, it was true. And when they went to the roof of that hospital, there was an old white Converse tennis shoe laying on the gravel and tar roof there next to um, an air conditioning unit. So this is... Uh, an example of someone um, whose brain was no longer functioning, but their mind was. So when we talk about our mind, it, it is something uh, that, that is a part of the soul, but plugs into and interfaces with the human brain so that we can now give physical expression um, to uh, the things that are uh, taking place in our mind. Now, if you can understand that, and I believe that you can, if you want to and are trying to, because the Holy Spirit's helping us, then we also have to understand that emotions um, are, uh, are more than just, uh, you know, neurochemicals, um, you know, being released and, and, and you know, re re received and, you know, receptors in the brain and, and in, the, in the abdomen and things of this nature that, uh, that enable us to experience uh, and express emotions. I'm not saying that there isn't a physiological element to emotions and, you know, things like serotonin, things like dopamine, things like adrenaline. Um, all of those things are very real, but emotions are more than chemicals you know, and levels of chemicals flowing into our um, bloodstream. Now, um, <clears throat> let's, I'm going to put the drawing back up. Um, some of you have heard me talk about this before, and sometimes when I give a, an abbreviated version of, of this to make a point in a class or a sermon, um, I'll run through it real, real quick. But one of the things that I say about the body is I compare it to a space suit because when we send men and women into outer space, if, if they're going to get outside of the, the space station or, or, a, or a spaceship, they're going to have to be in a space suit. They're going to have to be in a suit that will enable them to exist in the environment of space. So in the same way, we could think of our body as an earth suit. It was formed from the earth, 
and when a person uh, dies, and we'll talk about that in a moment, uh, the Bible says the body is returned back to uh, the, the dirt, the earth um, from which it came. And so in the same way that you can't survive or exist in outer space without a space suit, you can't remain on planet earth unless your spirit and soul has an earth suit to exist in. Now, I keep being prompted, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to this um, now. We may bring it up again later. But as we understand spirit, soul, and body, and, I, and I'll put it back again, the same drawing on the screen, because there is the zoe life, the life and nature of God, and then there is the bios, the biological life, um, we see that there are also then uh, two kinds or forms or types of death. In the same way that there's spiritual life and physical life, there's spiritual death and there is physical death. Now, the one word that you need to understand about death more than any other word or sentence or understanding is the word separation. Because death, if it's anything, it's separation. So when a person dies spiritually, this is when their spirit is separated from God's spirit. This is what happened when Adam sinned. He died spiritually. Okay. Now, there is also a physical death. And this also means separation. But when someone dies physically, this is when their spirit and soul separate from their, from their body. So spiritual death is when the spirit is separated from God. Physical death is when the spirit and soul separate from the body. When someone dies, they do not cease to exist. Their body is no longer animated by their spirit and soul, but the spirit and soul are eternal, which means when someone separates from their physical body, they're either going to live forever or die forever somewhere. Now, for the born-again believer, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, okay? And then there are other passages that refer to our physical body now as a tent and the body that Father has prepared for us that is ready for us in heaven um, is referred to as our home or our house. The tent denoting what? A temporary dwelling and God has a permanent dwelling um, for us in the form of a glorified body comparable to the spirit that is already in the physical body that, that we exist in now. All right, so I'm giving you a lot of stuff here, and really there's just no other way to do it but just to do it and just to work our way through these things. In the part about um, suche, soma, psychosomatic, I left a verse out, and I want to I give it to you now. Um, it's Proverbs 17 and 22. And it says that a merry heart does good like a medicine, 
but a broken spirit dries the bones. A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. So a merry heart does good like medicine, okay? Now, God understood this because he created us this way, and we see it revealed to us in the scriptures. But the reality is that modern science has proven um, that this is absolutely true, that when we laugh, we trigger and release um, healing endorphins into our body that um, have uh, you know, healthful benefits um, uh, to us physically. And here's, here's the even more interesting thing about it is that it's not just laughter, but that you can actually kind of almost like fake it or phone in laughter um, and, and even a feigned laughter, ha, 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 um, will release healing dwarfins into your physical body. So it's, it's one of those psychosomatic um, connections. Um, we could look at others, uh, you know, where the Bible talks about bitterness in the heart um, dries the bones as well. So there, there are things that, um, you know, originate in the spirit and or the soul that has uh, impact on the, um, the physical body. I mentioned this verse a moment ago. I'll put it up as well. Um, John 10, 10, Jesus said, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus speaking, he says, I've come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Here's another interesting verse. I'll give you a moment on John 10, 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. How about this? But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. A treasure in an earthen vessel. Well, the treasure in, in the earthen vessel that he's referring to here is our born-again spirit that still resides in a, a, a vessel or a body that was made um, from the earth, its, uh, the earth itself. Um, I know I'm giving you a lot of verses. Let's go now to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. It says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. We do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So he's saying that there is a part of us that is getting older and uh, begins to slip into a gradual decline. I'm not speaking... Uh, anything negative on any of us. I mean, it's just a natural fact. This physical body was, was never meant to live forever. Spirit and soul, on the other hand, absolutely was. And so as we get older, um, we, uh, we tend to slow down a little bit. Can't run as fast as I could at 54. Um, can't run as fast at 54 as I could when I was uh, 12 or 14. Um, but that's, hey, with long life, he'll satisfy us. Amen. But he says, while there's one part of us that is trending in a uh, downward direction, there's another part of us that is trending uh, in a, uh, it's, it's increasing, it's being renewed, it's getting stronger. 
and that would be uh, the inward man, that inward part of us. So he says we don't lose heart because we, we look at more and understand. In other words, if, if, um, if all you understood was you know, the physical body, um, then obviously it would be very uh, disheartening. It would be very discouraging um, you know, as you get older and start to slow down and things of this nature. Uh, if you thought that was all there, there was to your existence, then you, I could see how you would be very discouraged. But we know that um, there are, you know, the real you, the real me, is the spirit that's inside this earthen vessel, and it's being renewed day by day. Okay, let's go now to Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 17. Um, it says this, um, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil um, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, these that are instructions that God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. He told them that all the trees in the garden were theirs to enjoy to their heart's content with the exception of one. That was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This was God giving to them um, something that um, uh, there's a lot of people let me come back over and talk about this for a minute there are a lot of folks that don't understand why god would would even put that tree in there well that tree was their tithe that that tree was something god gave to them um, but not to consume uh, themselves but to um, to give back to him it's kind of like when you're a kid and you borrow money from your parents to get them a Christmas gift, okay? Um, but remember, uh, let, let, this, this helps bring clarity to it. I don't want to spend too much time here, but this helps bring, it, it did for me anyway. I was meditating on this one day, and the Holy Spirit led my thoughts uh, in this direction. He said, what if I initially told them every tree was theirs, um, and then after a few weeks or even a couple of months, um, I came down to the garden and I said, hey, uh, Adam, would you mind giving me one of these trees? Well, I mean, Adam's, I think, would have said, hey, look, God, I, you know, I didn't have a, a tree to enjoy uh, at all until you created me and, and, and gave these trees to me. So pick you two or three out, God, they're yours. But, but you know, that's, that's not how this worked. God said beforehand that that tree belonged to him and that they were not to touch it in the day that they touched it, they would surely die. In the same way that 10% of your increase, your income, belongs to God. And the Bible says that if you spend it on yourself, that you're robbing from God. Now, if you jump over into the New Testament, you see that the way we receive what is ours and ultimately receive true riches is when we are faithful with something that belongs to someone else. And so when God put that tree there or when he gives you um, 10%, he get, by the way, he's the source of 100% of our increase, right? But when he declares 10% of that is his, he's giving you and me the opportunity to be faithful with something that's not ours so that we can qualify um, for what is and for the true riches that he would give to us. But anyway, let's go back to it. He says, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. 
excuse me, we didn't lose audio. I was getting me a drink of water here. So when he says, in dying, you shall surely die. Um, th this would be a, a more accurate translate, translation of this. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Um, the literal translation would be, and I'll put it on the screen, in dying, comma, you shall surely die. In dying, you shall surely die. Now, what, what do we know about this? I mean, why, why are we saying it this way? Well, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, sinned and ate the fruit, um, obviously something happened, but it happened inside of them. And it manifested first in their uh, existence as dominant negative emotions. Um, fear, the, the, the shame, uh, hiding from one another, hiding from God. But they were still alive. Um, in other words, they, you know, obviously they were dealt a blow. Uh, something, you know, malfunctioned inside of them. Um, but they were still breathing. Um, and, and so they were still alive. So the idea is, you know, in dying you shall surely die. Um, remember, death means separation. So when they ate the fruit, they died spiritually, but they maintained a biological existence. So when they ate the fruit, they severed, they separated themselves, their spirit from God's spirit. They chose to launch out on their own and do it their way instead of God's way. And when they uh, did that, they cut themselves off from the flow of Zoe coming from God into their spirits, um, and they died spiritually. But they maintained um, a biological existence. But the biological existence is not eternal. Zoe is eternal. Bios is not eternal. Now, <clears throat> years ago, and it's one of those things I, I, I still tell the story because it is one of the better ways that I've ever discovered and the Holy Spirit showed me to explain this. Um, the, the church that I have the honor to serve and lead here in, uh, in Alabama uh, is uh, um, Heritage Christian Center. And uh, this church started the first Sunday in June 1998 in the showroom of um, my cabinet shop. And um, I was teaching on these things uh, one Sunday morning and I was you know ahead of the service obviously I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this and so I went out into the cabinet shop obviously on a Sunday nobody's working out there and I, I grabbed a random orbital sander and if you don't know what that is it's a sander that's got a, a round head on it and and um, as it spins it also oscillates so as to not leave marks and swirl marks in, in you know finishing cabinets and furniture and bookcases, things that we would build. And so I went out in the shop and I grabbed um, a, a random orbital sander. And so if you squeeze the trigger on that thing, it starts spinning, you know, and it gets louder and louder and louder. And so I plugged it into the wall up on the stage and I hit it behind one of the, the speakers. And, um, and so at the point in my sermon, I was trying to explain this, I went over and I, you can imagine it, I'm not going to obviously do it again tonight, but I went over and I picked up that sander and pulled it out from behind the speaker and just squeezed the trigger and held it wide open out in front of me. And obviously it, it, it drowned out my voice. 
And as I walked around with it, I acted as if I accidentally walked too far. I did it on purpose, but acted as if I accidentally walked too far and I unplugged it from the wall. I never let go of the trigger, but when I unplugged it from the wall, the sander didn't stop. It continued to spin, okay? But as it went around and around and around and around, we could say year after year after year after year, it got a little slower and a little slower and a little slower until it died, okay? Now, that is what happened to Adam and Eve. And, it, and, it, and it's what people are experiencing in their life right now who don't know God is the, you know, 80 years or whatever they have on planet Earth is the time that it takes for that sander, for the bios, which is fleeting, um, it's not eternal, to run out. So in dying, you shall surely die. They died spiritually when they disconnected from God, when they when they unplugged from him and then they continued to maintain a biological existence um, until that also um, expired. Now, the reality of it is this. There are some things that you will never understand until you understand spirit, soul, and body. Um, I have often said, and I do not believe it's an exaggeration, an understanding of spirit, soul, and body will answer a thousand and one questions for you about your life, about the Bible, about the things the Bible teaches, things that um, we have you know, explained to us in Scripture, that if we, if we never understand the three dimensions, if we never understand spirit, soul, and body, um, we, will, we will be confused and we will have no uh, um, context, we'll have no... Uh, foundation in place to help us understand. Um, we've referred to him already multiple times, but if you remember when Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again, he was very confused by that statement. He even asked Jesus, how can a man when he's full grown go back inside his mother's womb and be born a second time? And the reason Nicodemus did not understand what Jesus was talking about is because he did not understand the three dimensions of human existence. He only thought in terms of the singular dimension, the physical body, and so when Jesus said you must be born again, he could only try and process that uh, truth from Jesus by, by using his understanding of one dimension. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so... Um, you know, Jesus says, what's born of the flesh is flesh, what's born of the spirit is spirit. You know, Nicodemus is like, how can these things be? And Jesus says, how are you a teacher in Israel and don't understand these things? Implying that, that Nicodemus should have, because the, certainly the Old Testament that Nicodemus would have had, would have studied, would have more than likely memorized, um, it talked about spirit and soul and body. Anyway, there are some things that you will never understand until you understand spirit, soul, and body. Now, we're going to circle back around to these two um, in the future before we end, not tonight, but before we end class 36. But I just want to whet your appetite for some of these things. And so let's look at 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. 
1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I didn't put that on the screen. Pardon me. All right? So, that's great. Amen. Uh, you know, we need to recognize that we still struggle in areas, and we shouldn't, you know, um, be thinking that we don't still make mistakes and occasionally commit sin. It's not an excuse to commit sin, but, but nonetheless, we still do, okay? All right. So, you know, fine and dandy, I don't think there's a lot of argument there. Um, but if you keep reading in 1 John, you're eventually going to come to this verse, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. <laughs> I mean, and by the way, um, I found a whole lot more people who agree with 1 John 1 8 than who agree with 1 John 3 9. Think about what this is saying here. He, he just got through saying, I'll put it back up on the screen for you. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. 1 John 3, 9. Whoever's been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. Now, before I go any further, let me remind you that this is written to born-again believers. It's not like he's talking about folks that haven't been saved in the first uh, verse and then folks who have been and by the time he gets to chapter 3. No, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. All these chapters are written to people who have already been born again. Now... This is where, you know, I've done it for so many years. This is where I, uh, if you see me looking back over my shoulder for the, for the uh, dry erase board, okay? Um, but imagine that, um, matter of fact, let me see if I can put him back up on the screen, okay? Um, I got to find my place here, 293. Okay, let's go back. I'm going to put it up on the screen for us, okay? So imagine for a moment that I am... Um, Pointing to, my finger is pressing against the figure representing your body. If you say, if I say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's speaking of your outward man. That's speaking of your flesh, your body. Okay? Then I would go to 1 John 3, 9. All right? And this time, rather than pointing... Um, to uh, the body, I would, you guessed it, point to the Spirit. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. So, there, there is a part of you, I've, I've been known, by the way, to, um, to literally, you know how you can, you can hit something with the end of your finger so hard that you pull the skin out from under your fingernail? I have gotten so carried away in trying to explain this to people that I'm sitting there pounding on uh, the dry erase board to the point that I've, you know, injured myself. That's how, you know, important I want you to see, um, uh, you know, these things are. I, um, I've been accumulating a list of verses that I call true image passages, okay? And this is a true image. This is speaking of your spirit. Um, because your spirit's been born of God and has become one with God, and his seed, the seed of his life from which you were born uh, uh, from, remains in you, 
Um, at the spirit level of your being, you can't sin. It's not that you choose not to, it's that you cannot. You couldn't if you tried, okay? All right? Because that part of you has been born of God. Now, we'll get to this when we talk about the new birth. Your spirit was born again. Your soul has not been born again. Your flesh has not been born again. That's why the scriptures speak of our salvation in three tenses. You understand the three tenses, right? Past tense, present tense, future tense. Okay? So, let me give you what I mean by salvation in three tenses. The Bible speaks of our salvation in the past tense. Have been saved. Okay? Well, amen. We often look back on the day that we received salvation. We say, I got saved. I received salvation. Okay? Well, the Bible says that you have been saved. Now, for the record, if we go into the, 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 the technical uh, Greek grammar, this is referring to a past completed work with present and future tense implications. So it's not just that this was, it's not like a one and done kind of thing. This is something that happened in the past that continues to have positive impact and influence on us today and will continue to have positive uh, you know, impact and influence on us for the foreseeable future throughout eternity, okay? So, the same Bible, though, that says you have been saved also says that you are being saved. So, our being is referring to present tense, a present tense ongoing work that's taking place in our lives. Have been saved are being saved. The same Bible that says you have been also says you are being. It, this same Bible refers to it in your salvation in future tense. Will be saved. Will be saved. So, is the Bible confused? Is God confused? I speak to you as a man and, and it's absolutely not. Certainly not. God is not confused. And his word is not confused. But this is another one of those very important things that you will never understand until you understand spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit has been saved. Your soul is being saved. And your body will be saved. It's all three at the same time. It's not either or or. It's both and and. You have been, you are being, and you will be. This is why the Bible says in the book of Philippians that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it unto the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So again, if I could point to my drawing, spirit, soul, and body, he who began a good work in you, I would point to spirit, uh, will be faithful to um, complete it. I would point to soul, um, to the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Then I would point to body. Because the Bible says that when we see him, um, we will be like him. And it's at that point that we will receive our glorified body. So have been, are being, will be saved. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Because there's so much confusion in the body of Christ over these things. You have um, denominational lines 
by the way, denominations, I mean like Baptist, Methodist, Assembly of God, Church of God, Church of God of Prophecy. I mean, just go on and all these different denominations, okay? Um, a, lot, a lot of the lines that are drawn separating one group of the body of Christ from another group of the body of Christ is differences of opinions on what these verses mean. Um, there are some folks who believe once you're saved, you're always saved. There are some folks that believe that um, it's a work in progress and you won't find out until the end whether or not you are or, or whether or not you will be. And again, it's, it's, a, it's a gross misunderstanding of the Word of God because people do not understand the difference between spirit, soul, and body and how God's work and Jesus' completed work on the cross um, is inclusive of all three dimensions of our existence, spirit, soul, and body. So there's a part of you that has been saved. Um, we'll talk about what that means and what that looks like in the days ahead. But in essence, it means that your old spirit uh, died with Jesus, was buried in an unmarked grave, and that you were raised up together with him to newness of life. When you were born again, God did not refurbish, recondition your old spirit. He buried your old spirit and put a new spirit in you. And the new spirit that he put in you was born of God according to God by the seed of God from above. And your newly born again spirit became one spirit with God's spirit. The only way for you to ever be unrighteous again at the spirit level of your being is for Jesus to be unrighteous. And we know that's not going to happen ever because why is that true of you? Because the righteousness that you now possess as a born-again child of God is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus that has been given to you, that you were made, that you became through the new birth. This is the part of you that has been saved. Now, our soul is a work in progress. Our minds are being renewed. Our minds are being reconditioned. The spirit of our mind, our self-image, is being renewed. It's being reconditioned. And then the future work of salvation, when our salvation will be complete. Our salvation is not complete yet. Our salvation is complete in our spirit. It's an ongoing work in our soul. I could go over this time and time again. But our salvation will not be fully complete until our physical body becomes a glorified body. Amen. So we have salvation in three tenses. Now, here's another verse that we've spoken of before. But again, spirit, soul, and body. You'll never understand this verse until you understand spirit, soul, and body. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Hebrews 10 and 14 says, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So if you'll, if you'll notice in this verse, he's talking about a past completed work as well as a present tense ongoing work. The past completed work is perfected, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. This passage literally says that you are a perfect work in progress. You think, well, if I'm a work in progress, I can't be perfect. Well, if you understand spirit, soul, and body, you understand that he has perfected you forever at the spirit level of your being. 
but yet in your soul and in your body, um, we are still being sanctified. We are still being set apart unto God. We're being set apart from old images and old opinions of ourselves. We're being set apart from old behaviors and, and the emotions that are associated with old thinking that, that, that triggered and, and influenced some of those old and poor choices that we used to make. And Father God, now, see, this is the beautiful thing about this. He's committed to you. The Bible says, you know, again, that he loved you enough while you were a sinner to die for you. If now that you've been born again and have received this, this new creation, this, 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 this being created again by God, being born again by God, how much more now that you belong to him um, will you be saved by his life? And so th these are just outstandingly uh, important things uh, and, and awesome, awesome, awesome good news. Now, see, you know, somebody start telling you you're unperfected forever. Well, the Bible says you are. How about, how about this? You know, I don't recommend it. You know, go, go tell somebody, I cannot sin. <laughs> Folks probably walk away from you saying that, you know, thinking he just did. Look at his pride, you know. Um, but see, you know, if you understand spirit, soul, and body and what the Bible says about this, um, there is a part of me that can't. And that's the, that's the real me. That's who I really am. This is why the Apostle Paul said, read it, Romans 7. He said that when, that when he sinned, it was not him that did it. Because the real him, his born-again spirit, not only doesn't sin, but cannot sin. So by one offering, he has perfected forever. There's a part of me that's been perfected, not perfected until I make a mistake, not perfected until I commit my next sin, not perfected until I do something I shouldn't do and know better than doing or don't do something I know I should. No, there's a part of me that's been perfected forever because this is something that Jesus did in me and for me and is now working its way through me. Remember when I told you early on that one way to understand discipleship and what discipleship is about is for the inward reality of the new birth to become an outward expression of life. That discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Discipleship is about your thinking catching up with um, your spirit or your soul catching up with your spirit because your thinking takes place in your soul. And, you know, we have this, uh, you know, new person that we became but we know more about and think more like the person we were instead of the person we became. This is why we tend to live like the person we were instead of the new person that we now are. Okay? Let me give you a few more passages here. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 39. I'll give you a moment to turn there if you'd like. Hebrews 10 and 39. We were just in 10, 14. Hebrews 10 and 39, it says, But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Who believe to the saving of the soul. Okay? Now, perdition, it's one of those words like enmity, um, it, it has a, uh, a scale or a spectrum. 
And, uh, you know, enmity can uh, be anything from just a difference of opinion to violent hatred, uh, with enmity being the opposite of harmony. And <clears throat> perdition also, in other words, there's, a lot of times we think of perdition as going to hell, spending eternity in hell, okay? And that would be, you know, the far end of the perdition spectrum. But perdition in and of itself simply means to miss out on, to miss out on. And so when he says we're not of those who draw back to perdition, he's, he's talking about those who get saved but never really go after, um, you know, God and the things of God, as Paul said, to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of him. And so he, he says these are, these are folks who, who draw back and, and miss out. Um, in James, he says, let no man say when he's tempted, he's tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself Tempt, and that word tempt means also test, tempt, or try. Um, God cannot, God does, let no man say when he's tested, tempted, or tried, he's being tested, tempted, or tried by God, for God uh, cannot be tested, tempted, or tried by evil, nor does he test, tempt, or try any man. Okay. So, sin by definition, sin by definition means to miss the full scope and true end of one's life. It means to miss the mark, okay? So the idea is that God has a, a true end and um, a full scope. We talked about the full scope of his will for our lives when we talked about the will of God several classes back. Okay. So sin is anything that causes you and me to miss out on the true the, the the, the full scope and true end, um, destiny, destination um, of our lives. When he says God cannot be tested, tempted, tried by evil, again, we think of tested, tempted, tried to sin or, you know, some uh, challenging situation that we find ourselves in, what have you. All of those things come from the enemy, not from God. And they come from the enemy trying to entice us into action that would cause us to miss the full scope and true end of our lives. Now, this word evil, um, it, God cannot be tested, tempted, tried by evil, nor does he test, tempted, try any man. This word evil, again, it can have many different um, applications in its definition, but at the heart of it, it means to stop short, uh, to pull back and stop short of the full measure. To pull back and stop short of the full measure. So, God says, Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Learn of me and you'll find rest for your souls. If you've come to him, he's given you rest in your spirit. But if you don't let him teach you, you'll never learn how to live in the rest that you've already been given. Same is true with freedom. Same is true with righteousness. When you come to him, he makes you free. Not gives you freedom, he makes you free. There's a difference between being given something and being made something. He makes you free. He makes you righteous. But if you never take his yoke upon you and learn of him, let him teach you how to live in the righteousness you've been made, you'll struggle with it in your life. So there's a lot of people who um, have believed in him and received salvation, but they have not believed and continued with him 
to the saving, to the, in other words, for salvation, um, the Bible talks about being sober-minded, and that doesn't just mean, you know, not under the influence of, of drug or drink. He's talking about it's sozo-minded. Sozo is, is the salvation word. He's telling us to be salvation-minded. It's one thing to be born again. It's another thing to think like someone who's been born again. It's one thing to receive salvation. It's another thing to know what you receive when you receive salvation. And another thing still to think like someone who has received salvation. But of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So listen to me, my friend. We're not going to be in that group of people who draw back and miss out. And, you know, you could miss out on heaven, uh, you know, by uh, not receiving uh, the gift of salvation. And you can certainly miss out on all the benefits and bonuses um, and provisions of our salvation um, if we draw back and don't follow through to the saving of the soul. Now, let me give you another one that's related to this. James chapter 1 and verse 21. It says this, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls which is able to save your souls. He's saying that, and this is, by the, by the way, is also written to born-again believers who have already received um, salvation, who've already been born again, who've already experienced the new birth. He's saying that they got to lay aside this um, sinful behavior and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. So the people who drew back and missed out were ones who did not continue in the word. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. You'll know the truth, right? So there we go. So, so do you see how all of these things, again, are uh, so beautifully connected and related um, to one another, painting this picture as we put all these different pieces together, uh, painting this uh, amazing uh, picture for us and, uh, and literally drawing a bullseye around the things that we should be focused on uh, and going after uh, in our own lives. All right, now, pardon me, I have, um, um, I've been working really, really hard. I, I don't know if you noticed me squirming a while ago, and I've been squirming more than, I'm a squirmer anyway, but if you wonder why I was squirming so bad a while ago, I got this cramp <laughs> in the uh, quadricep of my left leg and I was going to keep teaching, but I really thought I was fixing to have to stand up just a few minutes ago. So anyway, uh, praise God. Thank you for bearing uh, with some of my uh, idiosyncrasies here. All right, James chapter 1 and verse 21, um, we, we uh, looked at that one. Let's go now to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, we'll look at verses 17 and 18, all right? So, Second um, Corinthians chapter five, verses seventeen and eighteen. Um, these were verses that we looked at in class number one, and we read these verses uh, multiple times. Might have been class number two. But we read these verses almost every class for you know several classes in a row. Um, so, for those of you who've been with us from the beginning, they should be familiar to you. He says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have 
become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. All right. So remember I told you that Nicodemus didn't understand what Jesus was talking about because he didn't understand the three dimensions of a, human's, a human being's existence. And so he tried to understand the new birth from a physical perspective only, flesh perspective only. And a lot of people make the same mistake when they read this verse as well, or these verses as well, because he says if you're in Christ, you are a new creation, and that old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Well, my flesh was not born again. I had brown eyes before I was born again. I had brown eyes afterwards. Um, so it wasn't my body that was born again. It wasn't my body that became new. Um, he's talking about my born-again spirit. That's where the old passed, and then everything to do with my new born-again spirit became uh, new. And verse 18 says, and now all things are of God. So everything about my born-again spirit is of God. It was created according to God. God used himself as a template for my uh, born-again spirit. So that is where this newness of life uh, comes into play. And this is another one of those, um, what I'm labeling a true image um, verse. Now, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll begin at verse 18 in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. All right, we're coming up on the end of this um, class time together, so let me try. Sometimes I see that clock counting down, and I try to squeeze too much in. Uh, I'm not going to do that. If we have to pick back up here next week um, while we're fresh, um, we will do that. But um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, here he says, uh, instructing us, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And that's uh, uh, apostrophe S denoting uh, possession, okay, meaning they belong to God. Body and spirit belong to God. Now, this, this passage, there's a lot here. And um, in my daily Bible reading, I, I came through these verses, um, I don't know, a few weeks ago. And, and I thought, man, you know, I haven't mentioned these verses enough of late. Um, and so let's, let's start with this idea of a sin um, outside the body versus one that is a sin against his own body. Um, not all sin is created equal. I mean, I know what the Bible says, and I'm not trying to counter that. You know, if you break one command, you're guilty of them all. Absolutely, 100%, I agree with that. But here he's talking about sexual immorality as a sin that a man or a woman would commit 
against their own body. Let me just cut to the chase. A sin against your own body is any sin that alters the way your body functions from that point forward. Substance abuse is a sin a man or a woman commits against their own body because when we ingest the substance, it alters the way our brain functions, uh, creating uh, cravings and even at times putting those cravings in the context of life or death. So just use, I'll use this example. Someone who um, ingests so much pornography, sexual sin, that now their, their wife is no longer appealing to them. They, they have sinned against their own body, all right? So um, not here to necessarily teach exhaustively on that tonight. But he goes on from there and he asks, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? In other words, I often confess in the mornings, even before I put my feet on the floor, that my life is not my own to do with as I please. I've been bought with a price that I am father. I belong to God and I am his to command. Okay. And so here he says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in, in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So there's lots of important teaching to do along these lines. But I want you to pay close attention to that last um, uh, phrase. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to God, which are God's. Okay. Now, um, I'll put it back up on the screen. Um, I thought it was still up there. I apologize. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We've been talking about spirit, soul, and body all night, right? Okay. So, where is, somebody find me um, the soul in all of this, okay? Well, here he's talking specifically about your body and your spirit. He says that your body and your spirit belong to God, okay? Now, <clears throat> I actually have this in my notes, okay? I always catch myself stammering trying to explain this, okay? And um, I'm not saying you're, I've already said I'm not trying to contradict myself. Your spirit is the real you. And then you have your body, okay? The Bible says that if you've been born again, that your spirit belongs to God and your body belongs to God. You say, well, does my soul not belong to God? Well, that depends upon whether or not you're going to give that to him. And I know that we say we give ourselves to him. Well, when you, when, you, when you ask him in, he did an eternal work according to the word of God, not my opinion, not my party line, traditional, religious, denominational doctrine, okay? He did an eternal work in your spirit, okay? But to the extent that that eternal work in your spirit impacts your life reality, it's dependent upon how much you allow him to impact, influence, recondition, renew your mind, which is the driving factor in the part of you the Bible calls your soul, okay? Um, your soul is the part of you that, it is you. Um, 
it's the part of you that's been shaped and formed and fashioned, okay? Here, here's an, another way of saying it, okay? If, if your soul is ever going to change, um, you're going to have to participate in the changing of it. Um, Father God is not going to hold you down and make you think the way you need to think. He's influencing, encouraging, put his Holy Spirit in you, gave you his holy word, um, even angels performing his word in, in your life. Um, but there is a sacred line that God will not cross when it comes to your mind and your thinking. Um, because he didn't create you to be a robot. He didn't create you to just walk around, um, you know, quoting the Bible. I mean, obviously he wants us to quote the Bible, but I mean without any choice in your part. So the soul is the part, remember, that thinks, that, that feels, and chooses. And so if this part of you is ever going to change and grow and develop, um, it's going you're going to have to participate in, in the changing of it. Um, now, there's some other verses that coincide with this that um, maybe I should just put the brakes on before we got there and started fresh with this next week. But this is a, a, a key factor that, um, that it, you know, I think it's important for you um, to know and understand. And so we'll jump back in on this. Um, next week. So let me, um, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for our time together this evening. Thank you for the things that you're helping us. Lord, we've covered a lot, a lot of ground, important ground, Lord, and I thank you that your Holy Spirit has been right here in the midst with all of us. I thank you, Father, that we're hearing and receiving and understanding, Lord, your word. Give us hearts to understand you, hearts to know you, Father, hearts that follow hard after you. And Lord, I thank you that, that there are questions that are being answered, things that, that were confusing to people that um, are, are, are no longer confusing because now they're beginning to see and understand. Lord, help us process what we've learned tonight so that we can build on it in the days ahead. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, tell somebody around you good things coming. We'll see you either online later this evening, 7 o'clock, service here at Heritage, online in person. Um, then Sunday morning at 1030. And then, of course, as always, back here uh, next week at 5 o'clock. You know what? Thank you, Holy Spirit. I have a scheduling conflict next week, and so I will be recording the class early and posting it. And I know some of you watch it live. Some of you watch it at different times throughout the art, you know, week and the archives, you know, so forth and so on. But just heads up on that um, so you'll know the class will we'll definitely have class. Um, but I'm going to have to alter the uh, normal broadcast, uh, live broadcast time to accommodate a, a scheduling conflict that I absolutely cannot um, maneuver around. So anyway, praise God, good things coming.